This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Good Thursday morning, everybody. I am Glenn DeGeek from Ocala, Florida. And I am Joseph Berto from White City, Oregon. And you are listening to a special Horse Husbands Only edition of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for July 25th. Brought to you today by the Shaken Fork and the Flexen Fork. The monthly Horse Husbands episode. This one is for you guys. No horse women allowed. everybody the horse husbands episode joseph is back and we are hello gonna, yeah we're gonna have some fun tonight because on this horse husband episode we are making an exception to our no horse women allowed rule and we have Kara on to explain her engagement story to one of our past guests stan so we're gonna hear all about that so if you're a lady listening you don't have to feel guilty today not that you ever really do anyway but you don't have to today you know despite our best efforts we didn't talk about guess, it. Yeah, we failed it. We yeah. failed, and and she's such a sweetheart. I I can see why he proposed. So it's nice. It's nice to get the dirt though. On what All right. really happened. So Kara's actually going to be joining us. Yes, a female voice on the Horse Husbands episode. Plus, it's time for Joseph to sit in the hot seat and to find out more about his horse husband origin story. I don't know how it's taken us this long to do this, but I am going to be questioning him. So listen in uh, for today's episode. We have a lot planned for you. I wanted to also mention that tomorrow is uh, the last live episode we are going to have for two weeks. There'll be episodes next week. Uh, Jemmy and Jamie and some special guest hosts are going to be putting episodes together. They'll come out in your feeds. But there won't be any live shows for two weeks till we get back from till Jennifer and I get back from vacation. So next week there'll be new episodes. But we do need two weeks worth of really bad ads submitted by tomorrow so get your really bad ads in today if you can take a look for some extra ones jennifer's going to need to put two weeks worth before we go on vacation so we need some more really bad ads by tomorrow please do get them in and now it's time for a very special guest Well, as we said, back in March, in the episode in March, we had a guest on, and his name was Stan. Now, Stan was not married. He was not a horse husband. He was a horse boyfriend. And our duty as dedicated long-term horse husbands on the Horse Husbands episode is to talk him out of this relationship, to have him break up and run for the hills. But apparently, Joseph, we failed again. We're not very good at this job, actually. Well, we, you know, we tried. We tried to, to open his eyes up to the reality of, a, of being a horse husband, and I, I just don't know. Somebody don't know just either. wasn't willing to listen. We'll have to inve- in, interview him again in five years. <laughs> yeah, and, and we'll see. 15. One, we'll see if they're still <laughs> together, and two, we'll see how he feels about the whor- horse husband thing again. Right. And we're acting like we don't have his fiance on the phone right now, and that's Kara. I know we're making an exception. She's a woman, and she's on the show, but we had to have her on to talk about this. Hi, Kara. Hi, Glenn. <laughs> so, Stan was on in March. What did you think of his interview? Well, to be honest, I only listened to some of it because I felt kind of guilty. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I know I should have listened to all of it, but um, yeah, most of what he said was true, and I was actually pretty proud of him for coming on and talking to you guys. Yeah, yeah, because I think he was a little apprehensive, wasn't he? If I remember right. Uh, a little bit, yeah. 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 So he did it, didn't he? He did. Um, he didn't seem too nervous, like I thought he would be. Um, he's heard a few of your episodes, so he kind of had an idea. But that's not what I meant, Kara. He went ahead and he did it. He proposed. It, oh, it, the it part. <laughs> yeah, the it. He proposed. <laughs> so, what did he do? Tell us how he did it. Well, funny story. Um, you guys didn't ruin it, but I almost did. <laughs> uh oh. Um, yeah. So. It kind of, I have to start from the night before I had just gotten off of work and I work some like really crazy long days. Um, as you know, I work at an equine hospital, so I leave at four thirty in the morning. I get home at seven, just really long days. And as soon as I got home, he was trying to make plans to go to cave run Lake over in the Daniel Boone national forest. And you're trying to go to um, bed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the last thing I want to do is make plans when I when I get home because I just want to go to sleep. Um, so I was kind of just like shrugging it off, like I don't know, just leave me alone, you know. <laughs> um, so I went to bed and woke up, and he starts bugging me about it again in the morning. And I'm on like this really crazy hiking fascination right now, so I didn't really want to go to the lake but I wanted to go to the Daniel Boone National Forest because it's um, the shelter we trace trail runs through there. It's a 300 mile long trail that I really want to do. Um, so I agreed to go and we drove out there and I brought my dog. <laughs> um, it was kind of funny because he's all trying to be sweet and I'm just like sitting there taking videos of my dog in the water and just pretty much ignoring Stan and focused on my dog. <laughs> Stan, get used to it. You have a whole lifetime uh, of that coming. Just saying. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, character. <laughs> yeah. Pretty, pretty typical girl right there. Um, and we were, it was really sunny and hot. Um, I don't know if you have followed the weather in Kentucky, but we've been in the upper 90s which is nothing compared to Florida, but it's still pretty hot. It's hot, yeah. Yeah. Um, And we had two towels, and he was, like, scooting over onto my towel, and, like, his leg touched my leg, and I'm just like, oh, get away from me. Your your skin's hot. Just leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hot. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, looking back on it, I'm, like, so, I just feel terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so he was really like he persevered after all of that yeah (laughs) Um, he was really fidgety and just kind of quiet and we had been sitting there for I don't know 10-15 minutes and I was just looking around it was really scenic you know bright blue sky and the lake and the knobs or they're not really mountains I guess they're called knobs here. I grew up in Florida, so I'm still learning the terminology of up here. But um, it's just really scenic. And I look at him, and he just looks like 
deer in a headlights kind of look. And jokingly, I'm like, wait a second, you're not going to propose, are you? Oh my God. He God, you did everything me. you could to ruin this. <laughs> couldn't I know. have done more. You're not going to propose, are, are you? you? Are you? Because I'm going to say no if you do. Oh my God. Yeah. So he's like, yep. And he like lifts up his hand and he has the ring in his hand. And I'm just like dumbfounded. I, like, I don't even think I answered him right away. I was just like looking at him. And then I was like, is that real? (laughs) (laughs) And now that I think about it, he probably thought I meant, is that like a real diamond or whatever? Um, But I meant like, is that a real ring? Because I don't know. I was surprised. And he was like, well. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I, you know, teared up. Not the most romantic lead. Yeah, well, yeah, he he kind of failed on that one too. Yeah. Well, did he ever say the well. words, will you marry me? He did. He okay, did, good. yeah. Jeez. So, Had you talked about getting married? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, he's, like, referred to me as his spouse, like, when his friends are talking about their wives. So, it, I don't know, it just kind of seemed like we were already at that point. Mm-hmm. But and how long have you been together? I've forgotten. Uh... Two and a half years, I think. Okay, so that's not a 10-year relationship, and then all of a sudden he's thinking about marriage. Um, no. You'll just have to make it up to him at, at the first year anniversary. That's right. That's, that's right. You could take him back out to the woods and ignore right. him some more. Uh, so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't, and when you say to somebody, you're not going to propose, are you? That means you're are not you? going to propose, are you? <laughs> that's, that's oh, I, you know, a lesser man would have put that ring back in his pocket and thought, I got to reconsider this. Yeah, Maybe or, another day yeah, or exactly. something. But to, for him to continue, I, I got to really give him props for that. That's a determined, don't. Don't touch me. I'm hot. <laughs> <laughs> How am I going to give her the ring if I can't touch her? <laughs> so were you very yep, excited? He's persistent. Get oh, the whole I way mean, back? I um, Actually, it started pouring on us like 10 minutes later. <laughs> so <laughs> That's just part. Well, you did have an, an engagement story. That's funny. Uh, God, then we had to walk back in the rain. Yeah, it was so romantic. <laughs> Lightning striking oh, all around. <laughs> no, I just, I grabbed the dog and some chairs and ran to the car. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, congratulations, Kara. <laughs> you know, but despite what we joke about, we're excited for you. He seemed like a super nice guy. Very. And he, and he obviously yeah, stubborn yeah. and persistent, so that helps. Uh Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, did you talk yeah. about a wedding and how all that's going to go? Um, honestly, we haven't talked about that yet. Um, we're just All gonna... he has to do is show up. So yeah, that's not right. a lot of talking that's... to do. No, no. <laughs> yeah. no, if Kara doesn't run away, it'll be good. We'll get married. Right. <laughs> but you got to pick a nice, cool day, I... Kara. I recommend winter. Uh, for oh, you. God. <laughs> oh, man. Or May. May is good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not the middle of summer, because apparently you're grouchy no. in summer. You know, That's he's going to be a great interview in a year. Yeah, we, We'll get be. to go through all of this thing and see how, how the first year, and, and, the, and the wedding and everything else. Yeah, I we mean, need to have him back on about a week before the wedding, 
and then yeah. about a year after, and we'll see how it. We'll, yeah. And then we'll put a special episode together: his boyfriend interview the week before the wedding, and the year after, and make that a whole episode. See how it whole changed. Episode, yeah, Isn't that yeah. a good idea. And Kara, it's oh, so good, good of you to share this with us <laughs> yes. and, and allow us to laugh with you and and, and at you. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, like ten ten minutes or so after we got in the car, like. I just kept thinking, oh, I got to tell Glenn this. <laughs> and you did. She I thought posted. about you before I even thought about my mother. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow, I feel privileged. Oh, I, I wondered if he at least got a squeal out of you. I mean, was there finally that recognition of, of oh, my God, I'm being proposed to, and, and let, me, let, me, let me reset. Start over again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good. Good. Yeah, I, I definitely did the whole, like, emotional, you know, teary-eyed and then I let him get closer to me. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, good. when the air conditioning was on in the car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Were you there, Glenn? Yeah, I apparently was. <laughs> According to Kara, I was there. <laughs> well, Kara, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm flattered that you thought about me before your mother, but let's not uh, advertise this episode and have her hear that. Yeah, that'd this be is, bad. This is coming way too. <laughs> there goes the way wedding. Too close to the tr- <laughs> I, I got proposed to, and I thought about Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the horse husband's episode. Women aren't supposed to listen, so hopefully oh, my mother right. won't listen. That's right. You know, we are making a huge exception having you on today, but it was worth it. <laughs> it was Might be the first. Yeah. As a matter of fact. Yeah. Carrie, yeah. you gave oh, us wow. a... We're going to have to... Yeah. Did we ever... Go ahead. No, we did. We had spouses... Uh, uh, we had gay couples on, so... Oh, we did. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. We did. We had we had women on, but we might have to we might have to follow up with some of the other fiance potential horse husbands we've we've had. See how their That's luck was. True. That's true. We got to do that. You gave us an idea. We need to have a special episode that's nothing but horse wives telling their engagement stories. I think that'd be fun, yeah. actually. Yeah, I think that'd be fun because I'm sure there's some interesting Although- ones. <laughs> What's this yours? one's going to be tough to top. Yeah. <laughs> Get away. You're not going to propose, are <laughs> <Yeah>. you? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I feel bad for the boy. How did that, that come out? That was moment. like my, yeah, that was my inside voice, and it just came out. I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to say what I just said. <laughs> I really, really did. <laughs> I really did. What? Like what do you want? <laughs> Well, it didn't help that he picked uh, the hottest day in five years to propose in the middle of in the in a sunny day in the middle of the woods out there. So. Uh, and you took a, took your boating instead of on a hike. I mean, God, what was this guy thinking? <laughs> well, Kara, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it, and congratulations. Uh, I mean that. Does that mean I'm invited to the wedding? Seeing I'm the first person you thought about. Does that mean I get to come? Uh, I'll officiate. Hi, if you would like to make the trip. I'll officiate. How about that? <laughs> Just, you know, I did, I've done that a few times. Uh, when we owned the acting company, I played the king. I, uh, I married a few people along the way. So uh, we had some very interesting weddings there, too. But, Kara, thanks so oh, wow. much. Appreciate it. And congratulations again. Thank thanks, you. Thanks, Kara. So, Joseph, I, I, after with Kara, I thought, I, I saw this graphic, uh, this meme on Facebook, and I thought, this really applies to tonight's episode. It's the five reasons why you won't find a husband at the barn. 
And let's see if we agree with these, all right? Are you ready? I'm not even sure you would find a, a, a date at a barn, <laughs> let alone true. a husband with these That's sort true. of reasons. <laughs> if he's at the barn and hot, he's gay. <laughs> That's kind of, and it depends on the discipline. That's uh, that way more so than others. Well, if I don't he, know. There's there's guys that are out there looking for husbands, so I don't think this applies a hundred percent. That's true. Uh, if he's at the barn and rich, he's married. <laughs> if he's at he the won't barn, be rich long. That's true. He won't be rich long. If he's at the barn and funny, he's thirteen. <laughs> if he's at the barn and helpful, he's working. He's got a job. Yep. If he's at the barn, handsome, reliable, entertaining, and employed, he's a gelding. That hurts. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> All right, but before so, so, we get to your interview, let's talk a little bit about something that you invented. And I'm going to ask you more about inventions and how you got into that, too, in your interview. Sure. Well, most of the time on, on the radio show here, we talk about the shaken fork and the flexing fork. But did you know, Glenn, that we make other horse-related and non-related products? Uh, I mean, yes, I did, but I don't remember what they are. <laughs> well, that's the reason why you send uh, we send you to EQUITEMFG.com rather than shakenfork.com because it gives you a chance to see what else you might like. Um, what products, you might ask? Well, like the forks, they were items that we needed on our ranch and couldn't find available for sale. And so I invented them here. For instance, how many of you have a vinyl fence? I mean, ours was great when it was new, but pretty soon the sun began to bake it and take its toll and it became brittle. And we found the least push from a horse and snap, you had instant PVC splinters and a wrecked fence. You could remove and replace the board or even the entire fence like I was tempted to do when my late stallion conquest actually got impaled by about an eight inch piece of PVC. Yeah. But instead, I invented what we call the equity hot wire stud, which is a small device that snaps into the post, and it allows you to easily slide a poly rope around the inside perimeter of your fence. And that's without drilling holes through the sides of the posts themselves. This actually will stand proud of the posts by about three quarters of an inch so huh. that the horse is guaranteed to hit the, the poly rope before it hits the fence. Your horses will stay off the fence, and your fence will last a whole lot longer. We've sold thousands and thousands and thousands of them over the years. They only cost about 10 bucks for a bag of 30, and we suggest putting on one per post. So this and other neat products, as well as the Shake and Fork and the Flex and Fork, are all available at EquityMFG.com. So you can call me or give my wife, Diane, a call. Very good. EquityMFG.com. So over the years, we and I, I just realized this last month. Over the years, we have done special episodes where, where we, where I interview the hosts, and we find out we've done it with Jamie, and we've done it with a, Helena and a number of the others, Wendy and and everybody, and we do we do an interview of the hosts to find out their life story, basically. So, Joseph, it's your turn today. I'm on the hot seat. Yep. You're yeah, on the you've interviewed. Yeah, you've interviewed me a couple of times over the years for, for special editions, but we've never really gotten gotten to know me, which is kind of funny since I've been on it for, well, what, six, seven years I now. know. And you've had a lot of, you've had a, an interesting life when it comes to non-horses and horses. I mean, both on the horse side and the non-horse side. So let's start here. Where did you grow up? Where were you born? Well, I was born in San Francisco back when San Francisco was fun. 
And uh, <laughs> on the Marin County side, I grew up in a family of five children and mom and dad. And uh, my mom has actually been on the horse radio network. I don't know if you recall that, but she um, she's a horsewoman and has been for, for almost um, her entire part of my life. And um, yeah, so it's been, an, it's been interesting. You grew up there when the little farms outside of San Francisco didn't cost $20 million. Uh, or even a tiny little teardown didn't cost a million dollars. It, <laughs> it was it was actually a great place to grow up. Um, by 1976, when I left there, I, I was ready to leave. It, it had already started to go the direction that it was going, but nobody could have ever predicted that the average price of a house is a million dollars. I know. Well, and the tech boom had just, if it was 76, the tech thing had just started it coming into to play, and San Francisco had just started being part of that. Do you know in, in 1976, the computer was the name of a person, a person that computed. It hadn't even become a computer yet. Yeah. Well, that, that's crazy to think. Yeah, they called the NASA. Remember the the movie about the NASA girls? They were all called computers. The, the computers, ones that did the calculations yeah. and everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's fascinating. Well, I never thought I'd be nostalgic for the seventies, but as, you know, the older <laughs> I get, <laughs> the more more I think about the muscle cars, the more I think about the time. You know, having more free time and stuff like that. It it actually was a better time than than um than it seemed back then. All right, now you're just sounding then, now you're so. just sounding old. Uh, I know. Well, I, and, but once again, I was broke. I mean, I was making a dollar eighty an hour at a Chevron station. Yeah, so I was, was making the dollar no eighty at a diner. So I know the feeling. Right. <laughs> so Joseph, um, what did you? You said your mom had horses. Did you have a little farm there? My mom, we they still have it. They have a couple of acres. Oh, really? And uh, originally, my mom, um, just like almost everybody, there was just a horse that she rode and rented. And then when we moved to a little bigger place that had a backyard, then she, she got a horse and eventually a pony for my sister. So there was two horses most of the time. But I, I had no interest in riding. The, the old saying about they bite at one end and kick at the other and, and – um, there just wasn't uncomfortable in the middle. There wasn't a place for me for horses, really, uh, in in my life. What so were you? Were, I was around them. Were you in sports? What were you? What were your interests in in high school? I, nope i was I was a nerd. I was a nothing. I was the the poor the poor guy, four foot nine, as a as a freshman that just kind of crawled along the the edges of the little hallways and didn't want to be seen. Tried and, not to get beat I, up. <laughs> yeah, tried not to get bullied, and and basically I I escaped the things that I was best at. Oddly enough, I was I got terrible grades in shop and drafting and and all that. So in high school, there's no good memories. It just was other than my bride was there, but beyond that, it was a it was not a pleasant place. I can empathize with young kids struggling in high school. Yeah, I, I used to because I was the really 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 skinny six foot kid. You know, yeah. so, you know, the nerdy one with the glasses and, you know, yeah. I, I hated late bus because I did play a couple sports, but I hated late bus because, ugh, the football players were on it and they love to pick on me. So now, did you go to college? Yeah, I went, I tried for about a year and the college thing, if you're creative, um, I, I remember I was in electronics and I remember looking at if I would have completed the courses I was in, I think the pay was 30,000 bucks a year. And at the time I was working in a lumber mill and I was also start, I had started my own first business by that time. And I could see that I was going to be able to make more money 
on my own than all of this effort to get into electronics. So I just bailed, much much to the disappointment of my parents. I have very, very successful brothers and sisters because of college, but it never worked for me. So, no, I bailed. What'd you do then? Um, I, I guess I was just, um, I, first thing I did was go up to Tahoe, escape from the Bay Area and worked at, uh, you know, on at, at lifts, uh, ski areas, things like that, drove, drove a grooming machine and worked for a snowmobile company. And then one, um, one day the head of, of Polaris gave me a phone call and said, Hey, are you interested in becoming the snowmobile dealer? for Lake Tahoe. And I said, well, I can't, you know, I'm working for the snowmobile dealer. And he said, we'll take care of that. Are you interested in, and it turned out that they were looking for somebody to make a change and they offered it to me. How and old so were you? I was pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would say maybe 22. And all of a sudden I was a Polaris dealer and, uh, and, a chainsaw salesman. And, and I was still working full time at the ski area and then working the <clears throat> snowmobile thing during the day and and the same thing in the summer i was logging in the morning and then trying to do the chainsaw business i mean i i have been incredibly driven and a workaholic my whole life so but, that well you had a good i mean if you're going to be a chain or a, a snowmobile dealer do it at lake tahoe that's pretty good yeah <laughs> yeah, was... yeah and i had a jet ski rental business from the very beginning so at, at donner lake during the summers i rented jet skis and then it then it moved to lake tahoe so up until the time i was 25 or 26 it was it was a really fun good time for a young man you know at, at a ski area and in the middle of this I invented a spring that went in the clutch of a snowmobile. There was a specific problem. And the money, I called it my milk and cookie money because the money that I made from that, I didn't put into the bank. I put it into a mayonnaise jar. And at the end of the year, I had more money in that mayonnaise jar from this spring than I had from a million dollars worth of sales of snowmobiles. <laughs> and the, the, the light bulb turned on. And I thought, gosh, I need to invent something to sell in the in the winter time or in the summertime because we're going to lose all of these spring sales in the winter time. And that's when I came up with the chainsaw filter that we still sell today. And so so that little spring was your first invention? It was the second one. The okay. first one was not something I was ever able to market, but the spring was the first thing that I took out the, the little one column inch ad in a, in a, a trade magazine with an 800 number and you know how you look like a real business when you had an 800 yeah, number? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You paid and, extra and for that, people, too. <laughs> yeah, and people sent you a check. Yes. And then, you, and then you sent them the product. But yeah, that was the first moneymaker and then the, the chainsaw filter. But <clears throat> my inventing, it's like people that have a gold record. And everybody, you know, they hear about them for the first time and they think, man, you know, you just got into this. And, and I invented for 15 years before we really had a, a successful invention. And the inventions, you know, they kind of stacked one on top of the other where when the real one came along, I already had a name and I already had kind of a, a way that I was going and, um, and I knew how to market and everything else. And so when the real one happened, it was... Um, I was ready for it, but boy, that's a life changer. So it took you 15 years to have an overnight success. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was it. I, I was making parts for, besides the spring I made, uh, at the time, 
snowmobiles were all black. They were black and silver, or black and, and blue, but they didn't have any color to them. And motocross bikes, I don't know if you remember this back in the late 80s, but they had day glow colors on them. They had bright pink, bright oh, yeah. purple, bright green. Well, that didn't enter into the snowmobiles. And so I thought, I'm going to start bringing color into snowmobiles. And so we made these plastic parts that would attach to the snowmobile, um, parts that went on the skis and so on. And all of these parts were functional. And so I introduced color into snowmobiling, and I don't remember the year, maybe 1986, I invented a skid plate that mounted to the bottom of snowmobiles, and it had a tremendous performance advantage, but it also added a huge piece of color. And in the year that Polaris came out with purple trim on their snowmobile, I sold 40,000 purple purple skid plates, and they cost $89 each. Wow. Wow. I didn't know that story. So Wow. And that was the so, first that was the first thing that ever really got put on the skid plate, right? It was always just a skid plate. There was never a skid plate. Yeah. There was never never anything there. It, I meant it, it was just, just always the bottom of the skid. There was it was a, always yeah. the bottom of the snowmobile and it was made out of aluminum and it was square. And so oh. the racers, when they would be going cross country, they would be hitting the tops of the moguls and the, the square part would hit and the and the aluminum would stick. Uh, like if you imagine when you reached into an aluminum ice cube tray, yeah. how it sticks to your fingers. Yeah. Well, that was happening to snowmobile racers over and over and over again. And one guy put a skid plate made out of out of plastic on the bottom of his snowmobile, and he won by such an incredible time distance. It was like an hour over a 500 mile race, but nobody attributed it to the snow to the skid plate. And the next year, he won by the same distance. And then the, the word was out that he had this secret thing. And the next year after that, uh, nine of the top 10 people all had a skid plate. And that was the year that the 40,000 skid plates. So that was just one color. I, I can't even count how many skid plates we signed. But it was over a million dollars worth in one year. Wow. Do you think yeah. that helped that you had the relationship with Polaris to get that out there? Oh gosh, there, there, everything mattered. At that point, I had a name of a business that, that everybody was used to seeing. There was color they were used to seeing. Polaris knew who I was because of the spring and we were supplying springs to winning snowmobile racers already by that time. And everything mattered. At the same time, Glenn, I was going to the bank prior to that one there. And I remember I had $500 in the bank and I had $5,000 worth of bills and I thought, do I pay a bill or do I eat? I was, I was so broke at the time. And I walked into the little office that I had at the time. And there was a fax there from Polaris Industries. And I looked at the fax and it was for $10,000 worth of skid plates. And, and I literally levitated. I could not believe this piece of paper in my hand was changing my financial world by 200, 2,000%. I had nothing. And so it was perhaps a month later that I came in and there was another order from Polaris. And it was for another $10,000. And I was happy, but you know, you're not as happy as you are the first one. And somebody went over and looked at it and they say, did you see the facts? And I said, yeah, it was $10,000. I said, you didn't look at the facts. And I looked at it. It was $100,000. <laughs> okay. Wait, I have $500 to my name and I have 
fifty or sixty thousand dollars worth of plastic to have to buy. Well, I was going to say how, how because that is the problem. You get those orders, but you don't have the money to fund them. How do you do it? How do you do it? Well, you have to find an angel investor, and so I found a guy. I think he charged me fifty or sixty percent interest, mm. yearly interest. And I thought if I pull this thing off, I'm only going to have to pay him for four months. And that's kind of the way it worked. And then I took the profit from that and I made the next order and the next order and the next order. And it went for two years. And at that point, the profit was so great that it was so obvious that it was, I, I like to just say kindly, it was borrowed without asking my permission. Hmm. And, and that was the end of that. And it went from this massive success to you know, everybody else making up. But Glenn, I knew that, that gold records, most people that write songs only have one hit song. That's it. That's right. They don't have two. That's right. And I thought, I'm going to look at this as something that's going to come along once in a lifetime, and I'm going to leverage it really, really carefully. I'm not going to spend it frivolously or anything like that. And, and that's kind of the way that it worked. I had the helicopter business by that point because I, I had so much... Well, we're going to talk about that. I want to talk to you about that, too. I got to ask you a question, though. In this time when you were like uh, Mr. Stud up there at uh, Lake Tahoe, did all of these jobs and the Polaris dealer and all that, uh, were you finally able to attract women? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, Glenn. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Not so much. Um, I asked that uh, because I was in the same boat as you, so I'm allowed. (laughs) Yeah, no, it 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 really didn't. Um, you know, the the nerd phase never really never really hit. And and in fact, I I was flying for DHL at that time as a um, an onboard courier they called it, which is where your baggage was more valuable than putting freight on an airplane to take it to Europe. And at the time, checks and stuff like that were sent overseas, right? You had to send them over. The bank stuff had to get sent over in order to be um, redeemed. And so I would bring over, I would be the courier for probably a hundred bags, 40 or 50 pound bags that that would go to Hong Kong or whatever. And this one particular trip, I went over to Asia and went to Thailand, crashed a motorcycle, wound up in the hospital. And six days later, I was married to the nurse. And I have no idea what happened. It was just one of those, <laughs> it, was, it was one of those moments in life and my wife calls it my practice marriage and, and she was right. And, um, you know, I was young and we, we went through that for quite a few years and, and, uh, eventually I wound up, I'm just going to say starting over and winding up in Oregon and, uh, there's, well, you know, well, there's, wait there's a minute, no wait good a minute. way to You can't that. go past that whole thing. Cause I didn't know anything about that whole thing. So uh, did you live there or did she come over here? No, um, she she came over. Remember, it was a lot different time back then, yeah. and uh, there wasn't the immigration issues. And she came over, although she she bless her heart, she didn't have this wanting to come to America thing or anything like that. She she really was pure of heart. Um, it it was exceptionally difficult because Thai women are extremely attractive, and if you're an average guy and you're with an extremely attractive girl, the men can't stop themselves from approaching an attractive mm. girl. I didn't know this at the time. And the bigger, well, how better would deal, we, we were the nerds. <laughs> yeah. The bigger, better deal kept showing up and, and I would be sitting at, you know, at dinner with her and a guy would walk up and start talking to her. Like I wasn't even there. 
Hmm. Or I would go out to the car and there would be notes on the windshield, you know, to her. Oh my things God. Like that. And, and, and eventually, you know, you're just an average working stiff, just getting up early in the morning and working and working. And, and as she put it, that, that, you know, I worked full time and we had a worse life than she had when she was in Thailand. So eventually things take their, their normal course. She, she's done well in life since then. And so have I, so there's, there's no, um, no hard feelings, but. Did she uh, stay or did she go back? No, she stayed. She stayed. Yeah, fortunately, she stayed. I and and she made she worked hard in the end and and made a good life for herself. So and we still we still stay in touch. In fact, my wife cracks up whenever there's a phone call from her because she can't imagine <laughs> this this voice at the end having a relationship with me. But but that was a previous life, you know. It was it was. I've been married to Diane longer than my life at that point. So I right. don't even. It was just a, a different life—the kind of thing you do when you're young and you can't hardly imagine. And you get bonked in the head and don't even realize you're married. So I mean, there's that. Uh, pretty, pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so and under drugs, you know. I yeah, that's say. right. There was that's right. Plenty of drugs at the time. Yeah, they were. They were handing them out freely then. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, especially in Thailand. Um, so, how did flying come into the picture? Well, I'd been flying ever since I was 15 years old. The the flying bug had hit me um, like a lot of young people. I always wanted to fly. I loved to fly. When I was in Tahoe, I was flying as a glider pilot, um, taking gliders up. I probably have more takeoffs and landings in a Cessna 182 than 95% of the pilots out So you there. started as fixed wing, and did your parents pay for that and get you the lessons nope. and everything? Nope. 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 I did 100% of it on my own, and in fact, I can remember... I was, you know, that, that $1.80 an hour deal kicks in because it was in high school, and I remember buying one-tenth of flight time. That's six minutes of flight time at a time. Oh so, gosh. yeah, it was it was just inexpensive. It took a whole lot of years. I sold my hot rod from high school to pay for my multi-engine rating, uh, my commercial rating, my instrument rating. And then I got to the point that I was interviewing with United, and they said that we can't interview you because... You're wearing glasses. Oh, and, that was the thought, days. I mean, everybody wears glasses today, right? Yeah, uh, and I yeah. thought, how? I mean, it's a disability. How can you? How can you take all of this effort, all these hours, all of this sweat, and on the basis of a disability, say I'm not even going to talk to you? And and that was it. My flying career was over. Hmm. And um, so I moved up to to Oregon and never really considered, you know, I was towing banners and flying ag and stuff like that, but I never considered anything more. And then when I had the business success, I had to spend some money to have a tax write-off. And they said, you can either buy a boat or you can buy an aircraft. It's the only thing that's going to have enough expenditure that you can have an accelerated depreciation on to where you're going to have enough money the next year to buy inventory. I mean, they were going to take all of my money to pay taxes. Well, yeah, people forget so I, that in those days that the corporate tax rates were out of this world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so in order to have the money to buy the plastic for next year's orders, I had to go out and buy a half-million-dollar helicopter and write it off. I mean, it sounds crazy, but that's how I had the half-million dollars the next year to buy did the Did you plastic. buy the helicopter before you had the helicopter license? I did, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had no no rating, but I knew that I could fly a helicopter because when I got my multi-engine rating, I think I gave myself a, a gift of two hours or something in the helicopter. And in the first hour I flew, I could hover a helicopter, which the guy said that th this is really unusual. And if you ever thought of pursuing flying, you really ought to think about getting into helicopters. Now, how and, uh, helicopters are a ton harder, right? 
Night and day. Yeah. Night and day. You let go of the controls on an airplane when you're in the air, and it keeps flying. You let control of the, of the controls in a helicopter, and it turns upside down. So there's never time and everything has to be coordinated, meaning when you put in an input with your feet, it has to be coordinated with the stick and it has to be coordinated with the cyclic. Those are the parts that that move in your hands. And um, oddly enough, it's very similar to upper level horsemanship that you have the aids of a horse and what you do with your hands and what you do with your seat and what you do with your feet are all interconnected because you're on a sentient being. Flying a helicopter was was fantastic to prepare you for riding a horse because it disconnected all of your parts, but it made them all work in harmony. And every t- and you had to make tiny little movements as opposed to big movements. In in a helicopter, yeah. the biggest helicopter I flew was an air crane, weighed forty thousand pounds, and that helicopter would move with thought. If you were in the air and you thought move left, it would move to the left. If you thought go up, it would go up. They are so unbelievably light to make them move. And, of course, we want to make big movements to move a big thing. And, in fact, you move move tiny, tiny little movements, almost like wind, to make the thing perform its best. So what was the most interesting helicopter job you had over the years? Well, the the firefighting is is a, is a big um, a big description because firefighting does everything. Um, you've seen in Vietnam where a helicopter comes in and a bunch of people get out yeah. and they go fight the war. Well, the helicopters that I mostly flew, which the, which was the Hueys, I dropped helicopters off at the fire. So you're flying into smoke and you're flying into flames and you're dropping these guys off. Then you would take and have a line put on the bottom of the helicopter and you would have something dangling underneath the helicopter by anywhere from 50 to 250 feet. And then you would have to put whatever was on the end of it in this really, really confined space. So here's an example. You say interesting. This is probably the most interesting from a a skill standpoint. You have a 250 foot long line, which means that the trees that you're going to insert it into are 200 feet tall at least. Otherwise, you would have a shorter long line. And so you're 500 feet above, say, a round uh, trough that you have to put water in with your bucket because that trough is putting the water into all the lines that the firemen are, are fighting fire with on from a ridge. And so you start out 500 feet up in the air and you have to guide this line down 500 feet and put it in a trough that's eight feet in diameter and don't spill a drop. And it's so difficult that I would literally be out of body watching myself fly the helicopter, amazed that this thing would somehow wind up in the middle of that trough and all the water would go into the trough, and then I would lift out, and you would do it over and over and over again. And of all the things I miss about not flying, it's having a skill that so few people have and not being able to do it anymore. It's, it's, it's frustrating to have worked so hard for that skill and then just say, well, i got to walk away from it. But that's, you know, that's life. Mm. Yeah, we, but we've all done that with numerous things over the years, haven't we? So, uh, now, you knew your wife in high school, but she wouldn't date you because you were hiding in the corner? Um, No, she wouldn't date me because she had a mean boyfriend who beat me up. (laughs) 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 
No, my wife Diane. I, I you know, she That's she funny. was nice to me. It's it's really ironic that that I was like I say I was a pretty pretty um, insecure young guy, and she was the person that when I needed somebody to roller skate with or something like that, she would hold hands with me and we would roller skate together. Or when we were in French class and in uh, whatever the person's name was, she was just a nice girl and she was the prettiest girl in high school. She was blonde and she was thin and she was just everybody's idea of what a beautiful girl was back then. And um, way and out of our league, <laughs> huh? Way out of our league. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But she was nice, you know. She yeah. was nice. She she didn't have to be nice to me. And I wrote in her yearbook, and I said something like that in her yearbook that that I you know I just appreciated that she was really nice. And then I signed my name Joseph because that by that time I had decided I wasn't a Joe, I was a Joseph. And um. And so that was that. I mean, she left and went her way, and, and I went my way. And then 20 years later, there was an invitation to a, a, a reunion. And there was nobody in, in high school I wanted to see. I was, was going to say, I, I didn't go back to mine. I'm surprised you went to yours. Well, I didn't go to the 10, and I wouldn't have gone to the 20, except I'd bought a really nice car. I bought an Acura NSX, and I thought, you know, this is going to be a nice drive down Highway 1 to go back to the Bay Area. And my folks were still there. And I, I had a friend from back then who was also a pilot that I hadn't seen in a long time, and I'd heard he was going to be there. And then I got the bios, and here was Diane, and she was dating. She wasn't married. Oh. And I thought, of all the people, this is somebody that I would really like to see again. And so I went down there. I drive up in the car. I'm feeling like a million bucks. I go walk in the room. And here's Diane with one of her friends, and she looks at me, and she looks up, and she says, "When did you grow?" <laughs> Just in that, in that, that was perfect, that her first words, really. <laughs> that was her first words in that perfect voice. It was like, "Wow, you know, when did you grow?" And we started talking then, and we we talked so much that at two o'clock in the morning, the place had closed up and we were still talking. It was <laughs> just one of those things where you lose track of time. And I need to mention that her boyfriend was there. Oh, at really? The time. Yeah. And we just, we just, had we they ever married little... or anything or they ended up breaking no, up anyway? No, no. no. Been, she'd been dating him for six years. I walked in there and I went, <laughs> anybody that's so stupid that he wouldn't marry a girl after six years of dating, <laughs> he deserves to have somebody come along and steal her. <laughs> so, <laughs> Did he talk to you, by the way? Since then, but not not uh, not then, not at the time. You know, it's f funny because the bullies don't even remember who we are. Well, he wasn't a bully. He 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 was a nice guy. He was a firefighter. He oh, had okay. all the kind of things that that a gal um, would would see as a good. Uh, no, no, the, the God, the bully's long gone. He he got into trouble, and actually, I think he's a cop now, which really suits him fine. <laughs> But um, no, her, her her boyfriend was a nice person, and um, he didn't appreciate the horse thing. And now as a horse husband and talking about what a, a commitment it is and how difficult it is to, to, to find a place when you have a relationship with a horse person, I can see now how a guy wouldn't do it, that, that he, you wouldn't marry a, a horse girl because... It's really, really tough. Well, to, and you don't know what you don't know, right? I mean, that's the thing. When you first get in with with a with a horse girl, you don't know what you don't know. You don't. No. But but 
when I went and visited her, I knew that Diane had been into horses ever since high school. She paid for her horse love by having a horse ranch at 14 years old. Oh, wow. She leased a piece of property. She she saved up her money and bought stalls and rented out stalls to people at 14 years old. Took care of their horses, the whole nine yards. And I admired that about her even at even way back when. And so all these years later, she still had the same ranch. And I went up there and her horses loved her. Her horses ran to see her. The kindness that that she had toward, toward her horses and the care that she felt for them. And I thought, anybody that treats animals this good is somebody that I want to have a relationship with. And six months later, we were married and I couldn't wait. So the horse thing to me was a gigantic plus and the horse horse thing to her boyfriend was a, gig, a gigantic negative. And so um, that that's kind of how it happened. And then I bought the ranch for her and, and I mean, you know, she was smitten. Now I didn't know what I was getting into, but but it's been a good ride. <laughs> so you ended up actually getting into horses. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, you ended up riding and really being more involved to the point where, because you're a chronic uh, business starter, uh, you, you, you actually were running tours and things. So tell us about that. Well, I didn't ride with Diane much to begin with. Um, I mean, I was aware of horses and, and I liked horses, but I, I didn't ride. And Diane bought a Percheron mare and uh, Roxy was her name. And she, she did the smartest thing. And, and any, anybody that's listening, if you want a man in your life to ride a horse, make it easy for him. And like when I wanted Diane to go for a ride in an airplane with me, I didn't make her wax the airplane or check the tires or, or start the engine or anything. I just said, just come flying with me. I'd open the door for her, put her in, put her seatbelt on. We'd go somewhere fun. Well, she said, you don't have to do anything. Just go ride. And so I would get on Roxy bareback and Diane would lead the horse or I would have one rein or two reins and we would just go out and have fun. And Roxy, you know, the back of a Percheron is so big that I was having such joy riding that horse and laughing so much that I'd be sliding off the barrel of this horse and she would hunch her shoulder and push me back up into center. That was my introduction into riding. It, it wasn't pick up manure. It wasn't clean the feet. It wasn't brushing. It wasn't anything. It was just joy. Uh, my first horse was a Percheron. I get it. I get it. Yep. And, and so that's how it started. And then um, Roxy trying to put this invention thing and make it a, a quick story, but Roxy would push her way through anything, including vinyl fence to get to the oats that I was growing. And one day she'd pushed her way through um, a, uh, a field fence and it was early in the morning. I saw it. And instead of putting the field fence back up, I just took a piece of vinyl and I took some bailing wire and I just wired it in place. And the next morning she hadn't gone through the vinyl she went through the field fence again. And my brain went, wow, there's something mental about having a, a white board four feet high versus a bunch of wire. And so I began to put white vinyl using baling twine on all of the field fence, and they never went through it. And so the first invention 
was a box that allowed you to mount um, this this uh, vinyl top rail onto a T-post. One, it protected the T-post. Two, you could put a hot wire on it. And three, the horses didn't go through it. And we went to Equitana that year, and it was given the the uh, red, white, and blue best of show um, ribbon at Equitana. And so the first invention that I had for horses um, was really, really well received by the industry. And we kind of went from there. But we went to so many shows showing off this product that I began to watch other horsemen ride. And we were down at the Sacramento Expo, and I watched a guy named David Jay. And you probably know David's name because David was the head of the Medieval Times yes. shows. Yes. And when that person, I get goosebumps just thinking about when David Jay rode, it was incredible. It was joyous. It was there was no force. There was no coercion. You couldn't even see him move. And yet this horse is happy and attentive and moving. And I thought, I want to ride like David J. And that was the beginning of my desire to become a horseman. And my wife just happened to love Andalusian horses. And so, um, uh, long story short, she wound up giving me Conquest, the Black Andalusian Stallion that I was able to own for his entire life. And um, I went over to a facility in Portugal to to see what this Andalusian riding was all about, met one of the riders at the Portuguese riding school and uh, invited him to come over to our ranch. And he did. And after two weeks here, he told me that I rode so badly that I was going to have to come to work for him. He said I was not. <laughs> he didn't mince any words. He said, it's, it's just not going to happen. You're not going to be able to learn to be a horseman if you, don't, if you don't come to Portugal and come to work for me. And so it was maybe May of that year or April that year, I packed up a suitcase and I went to Portugal and figured I'd be mucking stalls. And uh, that's how I got my start in riding Andalusian horses. And actually, it was Lusitanos at the time. And, but unbeknownst to me, what he had been looking for was a student that he could put the show horses, put on the show horses that he could train in the way that he wanted them trained. He didn't want somebody that knew anything. He wanted somebody that, that came completely clean and that way the horses could be ridden in a way that he didn't have to de detune or retune them from somebody else bad riding. And so I got to ride um I'm gonna say Lipizzan quality horses right from the beginning. And and uh everything that you dream about doing the Piaf and and uh passage and half passes and flying changes and even caprioles, I got to do all of that from the very beginning. And he, he was smart was, too. He didn't want to retrain anybody. He wanted to train you right from the start. You didn't have right bad habits. Me. You didn't have any habits. I mean, I was, had nothing. Yeah. I, I just had kindness, and I had a. Apparently, he said I had a really good seat. And the other thing was that the whole two weeks that he was here, he tried to get me to to be able to tell when the horse put its tongue on the bit. Mm. And through the reins, I had to know when the horse took the bit. And after about two weeks, I suddenly knew when the horse was engaged. And it, and it wasn't with me pulling on the reins. It was with the horse engaging the bit. 
that little sliver of touch was something that he said most people have never felt. And I felt it in two weeks. So we thought that there was something to work with. And that's how it started. Well, after I learned that, I thought, I'm going to start a business to send people over to Portugal to have this guy teach them. And he was basically a starving student and a starving owner. They were making money by having people, him train horses. And within a year of my starting the business, which is still in operation, they were making more money off of riders that were going over there to ride high-level um, performance horses than they were were off of their entire school. Hmm. And um, that that led to the school growing into a new facility and, and ride in Portugal becoming as well-known of a, of a facility as Morgado Lusitano is what they're called. It's as well-known as any um, teaching school in Europe now. And that all started with, with Rodrigo Matos was the instructor's name teaching me how to know when a horse put its tongue on the bit. And wh- where can people find that now if they look for it? Um, you can go to MorgadoLusitano.com, and uh, you can find their website, which is uh, MorgadoLusitano.eu, I think, or you go right to the USA one, which is .com. The .com will take you to Ride in Portugal, which is my website, where I just refer people over to them now. Oh, okay. And, and it's an old website. It, I haven't updated it in quite a few years, but the but the the gist of it is still the same. That you're going to go to Portugal, you're going to ride on highly trained horses, and you're probably going to get to feel movement such as flying changes or piaf passage that you will never get to feel over here because the horses just aren't trained well enough, and the horses over there will ignore all the wrong aids and listen to the correct aid and allow you to get the muscle memory so that hopefully when you come home, you're going to know the beat, beat, ka-ching of a flying change. And once you know that and you know when the horse is in the, in the motion, suddenly your horse will start changing for you. And, and he was the start, but I had other, other uh, instructors. I had a, a really notable instructor called Bettina Drummond, and she took me under her wing as a young student and spent more time than I can possibly thank her for. And, and she was in the U S and she tuned me up and, um, I had a, I had a grace. I was given a grace. Did you ever show? I did, but only at the, at the least level, because this is painful to even say right when I was at the, at the peak of my physical ability and my mental ability, the crash happened. Mm. And 2006, 2007, 2008, and Diane and I came within a heartbeat of losing everything because I was so driven to this horsemanship thing. I got so carried away that I was over in Portugal all the time. And when I finally came up for air, there was nothing left. You know, you, you, you can't be gone and, and survive. I mean, your money just evaporates, and I was gone all the time. Same thing happened. I mean, uh, basically, that's when I started Horse Radio Network was 2008, was the crash time. So, crash. you know, what my brother sold his business, which had, had gone down, and the idea was to sell the business, but it was going to go away eventually in the cable side. And I was working for him, and it was like, okay, I got to do something, you know, so... and. Podcasting was, I mean, I'm not even sure it was called podcasting back then. Uh, but, you know, it was just starting, and that's how this all started. It was, it was a result of the, of the crash. 
the uh, crash. Yeah. Riff. Yeah. And I, I had sold the helicopter business. The, the cost of, of the helicopters was so high that it jeopardized what we had here at the ranch. And also helicopters and horses, the, the touch, the feel don't mix. Helicopters are, they're really, I'm going to say violent in their way of, of, of flying. They use a lot of horsepower. They, they just, it, it just in, in your body, they, they introduce a lot of stress. There's a lot of adrenaline and horses. You have to be tranquil. Mm. You have to be thoughtful. And so they weren't mixing. So I got rid of the flying and loved helicopter. I mean, loved, loved the horses. The horses just became my entire life. But to make a living, I had to go back to flying. And so suddenly, instead of greeting a horse every morning and riding two and three horses a day, I'm gone. And I'm, and I'm off in Colorado and I'm flying air cranes and I'm doing stuff that's literally scaring the crap out of me. And then I came back to see Conquest the first time. He wouldn't even come close to me. It was like lightning bolts were coming out of my hands. My vibe was so wrong. And just about the time that he would be willing to approach me, I'd have to leave again and do another tour. And it, it never fixed. Uh, it it never it never it never recovered and when i retired i thought i should be able to get this back and of course i lost conquest last year and um there's no fixing it glenn there's just no and i have i have great great sadness yeah. about where i'm at in my horsemanship right now and no way to get back there. It's, I've gotten too old. And fortunately, my wife has had the presence of mind to breed a colt for me. And that colt is working way back into my heart again. Well, I was and just going to say that uh, it's, it's a horse that will bring it back. I, it, it has to, but yeah. it can't happen while we have this ranch. It has to happen when the new one. And I'm, I'm just 100% focused on building the new facility so that I can stop working and start riding and, and have that relationship with a horse that I had once upon a time, Glenn, I had something that a horse would move with the most delicate thought. I could move my feet and my hands in time with the stride of the horse. I could do stuff on a horse that, you, you couldn't imagine unless you were watching it because I wasn't doing anything. I got, to, I got to bring out my inner David J and I had a horse that was so magical to get on. He loved to play. This horse, he would, give, he would do anything for me. And, but I think I can get there again. I just have to get to that place. Well, and it has to be the horse too. It has to be the right horse. And I, I, I do believe that. I believe the horse finds us. You know, I think, yeah. you know, if, if this one isn't the right one, there will be one that will be the right one. But it has to, you're right. You have to be at the place and the horse has to be in the place. You both have to be in the yeah. place at the time. Um, yeah. There, there's to, to find that we, we live in a frantic world right now. Mm. And, and our, our world is diametrically opposed to horsemanship. It's, and, and so, Trying to lead an internet life, an internet pace, a texting, a instant gratification, and also get 
that connection with a horse, I don't see how people do it. I don't see even how it can be done. And so these women that are out there that dedicate themselves to horses at the expense of everything else, including J.B. Jennings, I might add, there's a reason why they're so passionate about it is because it's the only way to make the connection. And if you're a horse husband and you appreciate that and support that, you're going to have a, a grounded partner in your life that there's no, no other way to get there, I don't think. That, that There's that saying about the inside of a horse is good for the outside of a man or vice versa. It's absolutely true that, that there's a spiritual sentient connection between horses and humans, but you sure have to live it in order to, to, um, to realize it and appreciate it. And I'm going to get back there again. I'm, I'm going to be doing that again. Um, it's just, uh, it's just going to take time. It's why I retired or probably the biggest reason I retired is from flying is that I knew I was going to get too old to ride. And I knew that this connection with horses was going to take four or five years to, to happen again. And, um, and if I started at 65, I wasn't going to be able to get there again. I can't wait till I'm 70 to try to ride, you know, upper level dressage stuff. It's impossible. I, uh, you're absolutely right about the horse. Uh, you know, it was actually what really got me into horses. Jennifer had a lot of horses. I mean, she was an inventor and had a lot of students and there were a lot of horses around. But she knew that I wa- I tried riding. <laughs> she tried giving me lessons. That didn't work. Um, yeah. You know, it wasn't because of her. It didn't work because of me. Um, and I just wasn't interested in riding. She was smart enough to see that. And then she said, you really should try driving. I think you'd like driving. And you know, she was willing to give that a shot, and then we found this horse at the auction, ninety bucks by the name by the name of Piper, and we named it Piper, and uh, Piper ended up being my life horse, you know, my life pony, and yeah. I drove that yeah. pony everywhere for the next fifteen years, um, and, and you know, and the pony was thirty five when we retired. That when we retired her, she lived to forty five, but she drove to to thirty five and was like like she was. 12 you know it was just she was just that good and she just taught me how to drive she was the right pony at the right time and i love that pony and you know it took me till scooter actually and i've owned a couple of horses in between but you know i didn't love those horses you know they were they were horses and they were fun to have around but i, I didn't love those horses like uh like i did piper and now scooter just i mean Anybody meets Scooter, you know why you have to love him, because he's just a nut. Um, and you just fall in love with him, because he's just one of those ponies, right? Um, but he also is taking care of me now. You know, he's not trying to kill me anymore. So that's good. But you're right. It, 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 I, if I think that if I hadn't had Piper, I wouldn't, there wouldn't be a horse radio network right now, because I wouldn't be involved in horses. Jennifer would be doing horses. I'd be doing something completely different, and we would be trying to avoid each other in the barn. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would be in the yeah. barn. But that horse brought me in. Um, yeah. But Jennifer was smart enough to realize if she had pushed the riding thing, I, it wouldn't have worked. It just wouldn't have happened. Uh, I, I, I'm speechless because I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And, and, I, and I also couldn't agree with, with driving because when, when I first started with Conquest, I, it takes a, quite a while before they, they're 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 physically capable of carrying a rider, but you can drive a year before that. And the astonishing thing to me was you're not sitting on the horse. 
You have no force that you can put in. You have no spurs. You have nothing. And that horse is listening to you so intently. You know, their ears are back and they're paying attention. They could run headlong, go crazy, but they don't. They're they're listening for your bravery, right? Because you're going down a road and they're scared of all this stuff all around you, but you're not. Well, and, and so and, and it's interesting because a lot of people don't don't realize that you know, it's funny because they see drivers always talking to their horses and they think it's just cute. Nope, they're that's how you're communicating right there. Yeah. 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 Driving is is great. And another thing I wanted to mention cuz I think it was a show or two ago, but but you asked me the question, and it was, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when yeah. you arrive at the pearly gates? Yeah. And and what I would hear, and I think that this is going to happen, is that conquest would be there, and he would forgive me, and he would say, I'm ready to go. Let's go ride. Because this new horse... There was a lot of mistakes that I made with this horse that, that I didn't realize at the time. It took a lot of training before I'm going, God, I can't believe that I was doing that with that horse. Of course, he forgave me at the time. But with this new horse, the exact same situation is happening, right? It's a young horse. And I think to myself, back then with Conquest, this is what I did. And now with this different knowledge, this is what I'm doing that I learn differently. And you with Scooter, you say he's a nutcase, but you're not reacting to the nutcase because of what you learned. Oh, if I had gotten horse. Scooter 20 years ago, I wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't have worked. Exactly. Right. No. So, so that's, that's why I have the belief that horsemanship for me can happen again. And it doesn't have to take 10 or 15 years that the, the, the stuff that, that, is inside of me is still there. I'll be able to find it again once I'm in the correct space to be able to access it. I'm just not there yet. And so when we have a crazy show where, where I talk about raising a barn up in the air and building this and, and it's doing it all for my wife, it is. But at the same time, there will be a, an arena, there'll be a round pen, there will be all of this. And there's also going to be the most beautiful place to be able to take a horse and introduce movements like half passes or shoulder ends naturally because of the trails and because of the shadows and stuff like that that you can work with so yeah it's it's all going to happen it just can't happen tomorrow it's going to take a little longer and on that note i think it's a perfect place to wrap joseph this is i've learned so much about you tonight (laughs) (laughs) and i've known you for a while but i've learned so much about you but let's let's tell everybody let's finish with where they can find another one of your inventions and that's the shake and fork and flex and fork yeah you can go to equiteemfg.com you can read a little bit more about me i think there's some about uh, there and there's an old website, my website, which was josephberto.com, which I did back when I was um, trying to introduce people into writing and, and trying to explain that that special part of writing. Most people don't get it, but I put it down anyways. So, anyways, go there, talk to my wife, and um, find our products. They're all good things. Thank you, Joseph, and don't forget to get your ads in for tomorrow and and for next week. Actually, we have to get them in early, so head on over to Craigslist. And now that Facebook has cut out selling horses again, um, head over to Craigslist <laughs> and find some really crappy ads over there. Send them in to Jennifer at horseradionetwork dot com. Uh, and if you submit them and you read them yourself, then uh, you get double the entries into the drawing for the prizes. So you definitely want... And besides, Jamie and I, by Friday, we really don't want to work that hard. We'd rather just 
listen to you guys work that hard. So, uh, Sundaman, it's just a lazy thing. That's what it is. Right. And, right. and it's also fun to hear your accents. We had several from Australia, New Zealand, and uh, recently. So that's been fun, too. Thank yeah, you, Joseph. They get a bonus point, right? What's that? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they get a bonus point yeah, that's having right. an accent. Because <laughs> I could listen to them all day. Well, right. Joseph, thank you so much for doing this. And thank you for, for being in the hot seat and for really opening up about, about all of that. I'm going to have to put a tissue alert at the beginning of this. Uh... Oh, that's all right. <laughs> thank you, it's Joseph. It's all from the heart, Glenn. All right. Take care. Don't forget, spay, neuter, and geld. Your horse. <laughs>